Hey, the podcast is about to start. Um, I'm talking now at the end afterwards. And uh, my guest today, Michael McDermott, performs a song at the very end of this thing. And uh, if I bore you and you stop midway, just go to the end and uh, listen to that song no matter what. Okay, we can start the podcast now. And now, The Moment with Ryan Koppelman. Nothing but the moment Don't you waste it on regret Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Once again, thanks for all the comments and ratings on iTunes. Uh, I really appreciate it, and please keep doing it. I mean, if you've already written one, don't write another one. But uh, if you haven't, get in there if you dig the show, and uh, let me know about it, and find me on Twitter. At Brian Koppelman. So today's guest is singer-songwriter Michael McDermott. You might recognize that name as the same name as the uh, Matt Damon character in Rounders. Uh, that character was named after Michael, um, although the character is uh, is quite different. The character himself isn't. But um, there was a period of time where my writing and directing partner, Levine McDermott, and I were uh, like a traveling uh, a traveling band of um, uh, lunatics, uh, in a way, in our very, very, very early 20s. And uh, there's just a lot to talk about with Michael. It's, uh, it's kind of one of the reasons that I wanted to have a podcast was to be able to engage in, in these kind of conversations. Michael's had a very up and down career, which we're going to talk about. He's reached some incredible heights and some real lows. And when he gets here, I'm going to ask him to take us through all of it. Um, and uniquely thus far on this show, I intersected with McDermott, um, I think on maybe like the biggest moment. And, and I've always wondered if perhaps uh, it would have been better for him if, it, if that never happened. So I'm going to talk about that too. Uh, he'll be here soon. I don't know. Maybe it won't be weird. Maybe it'll be like really standard. Uh, but we'll see soon. Thanks. All right. So Michael just walked in here. Hey, man. Can you see me hey, okay? Brian. Yes, I can. All right. You just bumped into the mic. Sorry. So I, I realized <laughs> I was talking um, before you came in here. And uh, what I neglected to say um, is that uh, I signed you to your first record deal. You did. And... Uh, and I, and I also neglected to say that, that, that for years and years, your music and you were like one of the central things in my whole life, in my early <laughs> 20s. And, uh, and it's because um, of the fact that I, I, I felt and, and still feel you're one of the, the greatest songwriters walking the earth. And, uh, and I take that whole songwriting thing... Very seriously, yes. Yeah, really seriously. So I just wanted to read something at the beginning of this, which is something that I didn't say about you, but that um, Stephen King, who, who knows something about writing, said, and I just found this quote, and I guess he wrote this as part of liner notes. He's written about you a lot. Yes. Were, were you in a couple of his books? Or I was in two of his books. Uh, well, well, one he used the lyrics, and then one he used like a character wore a, um, a shirt that said, I'm in love with a girl called Rain, which is a song. Of mine, so he used that reference uh, from the song "The Idler, the Prophet, and a Girl Called Rain." Um, and so, what Stephen King said uh, about you—I know you know this, but I just want to uh, sure. say it—is he said, um, "McDermott's music helped me find a part of myself that wasn't lost, as I had feared, but only misplaced." That's why we love the ones who are really good at it. I think because they give us back ourselves, all dusted and shined up, and they do it with a smile. Michael McDermott is one of the best songwriters in the world and possibly the greatest undiscovered rock and roll talent of the last 20 years. You must have been happy when you saw it. I was. I was. And do, do you remember the day I think that came in? It was like a, I think it came to the office and then it was a, a fax to me and I read it like it was, it was surreal. But had you met King at that point? I had, yes, I had. He had written an initial sort of, uh, uh, a fan thing about you or had put you in a book. No, and that's how we realized he was a, a fan. Right. Of, he uh, put of me yours. in the book and then I was at my sister's house playing basketball and my sister opens the window and they call me Dermot and they said, Dermot, you got a phone call. And I was like, I'm in the middle of a game here. And then she's like, well, it's Stephen King. And I said, 
Stephen King? And so it was, and I think I said, you know, there's kind of a wash of memories and what's real and what's fictional. But I think I said when I went on the phone, he's like, hey, Mike, Steve King. And which, you know, always kind of wakes me up is when people call me Mike. But uh, so he said, uh, uh, I'm coming to Chicago. I'm a big fan. And I'm coming to Chicago. Would you like to go to a Cubs game? And I said, sure. Uh you're you're a big fan. He's like your publisher didn't tell you. I uh, used some lyrics of yours in a book of mine, and I had no idea. Uh, well, the book wasn't out yet. No, it wasn't out. Uh, but and, and then I think I said to him, I said, "Are you sure you're not looking for Michael McDonald?" You know, because that's always <laughs> a great the Doobie know, Brothers. Guy, lead right? It just seemed it, it was so incongruous in my head that Stephen King would be calling me while I had sh- shorts on and a headband playing basketball. It was just very surreal. And then so then he sent he wrote the then he came down to Memphis to see us. You know, uh, at Hardy's place, Joe Hardy who was producing the record at the time, and uh, we had a great time. We could talk about that later, but. Um, and then he wrote the liner notes, yeah, after he'd heard some of the record. Yeah, and then years later, uh, being out of contact, he wrote that thing in, in Entertainment Weekly. Entertainment also, Weekly, about yeah. how one of your songs was like the best record right. of the year, also. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, Dance With Me, right. which isn't the ABBA. No. Sorry, it's your no. own, yes. it's your own yes. song. Or Billy Ocean, I think, had a dance. Oh, is it Billy Ocean? Not, oh, ABBA was Dancing Queen. <laughs> yeah, right. Billy right. Ocean had Dance With Me. And I'm sure there, there's a million Dance With Me's. Yeah. And I'm glad you corrected that because someone would have tweeted at me. Uh, ABBA didn't, you know, the ABBA expert would have been like, uh, excuse <laughs> right. me, but ABBA didn't have uh, yeah. Dance With yeah. Me. Um, let's start. Uh, you're in a great place now, it seems. Much better. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I saw you play last night, and you, you, uh, with your wife as mm-hmm. your like sort of cohort on stage. Yes, my sidekick. But I, I was trying to think, uh, how how old were you the night that I first saw you play? Ah oh, man, so it would have been I was twenty nineteen twenty. It was eighty nine, right? Oh, so I would have been twenty one, twenty, twenty, twenty. I think yeah, you were twenty, 20 years, going on 20, 20, yeah. 20 years old, and that was, you know. Um, a long, long the time night ago. that changed my life. 20. Really, I mean, uh, it changed the 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 rhythm and the direction of everything in my life. Well, sure. The show is called the moment, and and uh, and I was thinking of, there are certainly many moments in in your oh, life. Yeah. But that represented a really significant moment for mm-hmm. for both of us. Yeah. I, I think. Um, and and so you were. Where were you in your life at that time? Can you just talk about sort of like. Uh, yeah, where you found yourself when you were playing those shows yeah. in Chicago, where you're from. I was playing kind of, uh, so I was a sidekick, uh, playing with Fitz, uh, a friend of mine, Paul Fitzpatrick, playing Irish songs just to make money for rent. And I was writing these songs in this little crappy apartment at 620 West Surf. What do you mean you were a sidekick? Well, I, was, I, didn't, I wasn't even the lead singer. I would just play acoustic guitar and shout and stomp my foot and, you know, and he was just kind of doing it just so I could get some bread and pay rent. So he was just being nice. And then... There was an article in the paper by a guy named Dave Hoekstra, and the guy's managing me, Jack Kellman, uh, sent it to you. And uh, and then, but wait, there was an article, even though you were just a sidekick. Side, yeah. Well, well, I was doing my own shows. Then I think from going from sidekick, I became doing my own shows. Uh, you know, as as, as uh, a solo artist. Yeah. And then, uh, so somebody, a writer from the Sun Times, saw the show and. Uh, wrote a wrote an article, a feature on in the Friday paper or something. Then somebody faxed it to you. Uh, yeah, and then I I, I came to Chicago to yeah. see you. And um, well, I guess even going back further, uh, you grew up pretty far away from from like the center of rock and roll. Like, what's the name of the town you grew <laughs> it's up in? Orland Park. So it's like it's thirty miles and about thirty years back in time. You know, so <laughs> and, it's uh, uh <laughs> and and you were the youngest child to much older parents, mm-hmm. right? Yes. How, like, how how old were your parents? My you mom was 42 when she had me. I was born on her birthday, on her 42nd birthday. And uh, my oldest brother was already going to college by the time I was born. So we never really resided in the same domicile, you know. So Right. You didn't live in the same house. Right. Another way to say that. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, right. Yes. Uh, right. Which made a kind of an, a, a, a strange... You were. It seems to me that you had a little bit of like a solo, lonely-ish. What do you mean at that time? Childhood. I wonder. Oh, like, yeah, familiar. yeah. I think my dad. You know, my dad, and I think he was kind of done with being a dad. You know, like he was. You know, it had the kids. It it had come out later that I was a mistake. You know, sure. Uh, which I like to call it destiny. But uh, you know, so yeah, I think he was kind of done with it. And uh, so I I don't remember a lot of my childhood. You know, uh, with any kind of clarity. Uh, but. Uh, yeah. There, and when did you start playing rock and roll? Eighth grade, you know. 
13, uh, saw the stones and that kind of, you know, the light bulb went on. And then this whole sideman thing, because uh, uh, I think it's such an endemic story about the way you've battled the whole time to keep doing this. And you know, you're doing it 25 years yeah. uh, later from when you first got your first record deal. But um, the first band you were in, uh, didn't wasn't there something where they they kicked you out of the band without telling you? Yes. Oh, yeah. So... And I was probably 14 or 15, ready for my first show. I didn't have a guitar strap. So I, I was, went home and I got string to tie it, like literally a thin little piece of twine, and tied it. And I sat on the porch and I waited for the cars, the guys to come get me. And then To play was, your first gig. To play my first gig. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then they never came. And then the phone rang. And then, Darn it, you got a phone call. I went in and it was the bass player, always the bass player, uh, who then said, yeah, uh, it's not really working out. They were already at the show. They were at the gig, yeah. and they left you home on the porch, <laughs> which is did. just the saddest. It is. It, and, and at that time, you you would kind of wanted to be the lead singer and cause trouble? I don't I don't. You know, maybe. Uh, but yeah, I was getting better at a quicker rate than everybody else. What did you do? Can I just, what did you do? That, right, you were getting better quicker. Yeah. You could sing and play and write yeah. songs and threaten them. So like, I would, I mean, I would go, I would have marched to the, what did you do? Yeah, I, I don't rem I don't remember. I mean, it was a devastating blow. But you know, when you're a kid, I think you brush those things off easier. Like I don't know if ignorance is bliss, but I just kind of thought I'll just jump my own bit. You know, like I don't really remember. It was probably so painful. I don't really <laughs> I don't really remember that much. I don't I don't I, I didn't cry or anything. But uh, did you decide then you were going to be put together your own your yeah, band? That was great fuel though. Like you know. I'll show them. I had this very kind of like paybackish, and you know, I kind of do, and I hate that about myself. Is that I'm very kind of I'm going to show you, and I think if any, well, not always, and we could get in that, but I I uh, I work great under like um, uh, tragedy. I think I think I do bounce back. Like just a, a slow malaise of just unpleasant things doesn't really inspire me, but really bad things do, and I get very fired up. <laughs> about yeah, if you're about to get squashed, <laughs> right. that's when it's right. good. Right. Yeah, just, when whoa. the hand of fate comes down, <laughs> right. then I'm ready. You're ready to I'm go. ready to fight, yeah. Well, no, it's true. Even in basketball, like, you're good at shooting a basketball under pressure. Like, you can yeah. make a shot yes. under pressure. Like, yeah, right. And a lot so of people can't. So are you. Uh, yeah, but it's not about me. Yeah. But you, uh, you you can. Yeah, my brother said if I if you use what your attitude is on the ball court and the other avenues of your life, you would be, I mean, incredibly successful. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> Both nice and not nice, I think, of him to say. <laughs> because uh, how do you define success right. would be the next question. So did you start writing, did you then start writing songs? I mean, was it clear to you from that point, hey, I want to do this thing for my life? Like, how did that? Yeah. Well, I mean, the idea that uh, you're from Orland Park and that you're ever going to make any kind of real power impact on the world is kind of just so outlandish, you know, like. Well, what's Orland the Park like? Well, it's just a small, I mean, you know, it's a small town. No one ever really leaves. And, and, um, and that's, uh, you know, well, you know, my brother got out, but, you know, my other siblings didn't. And, you know, they're still there to this day. But, um, I, so I didn't. I didn't really have much of a plan. I just knew I I was really, and that's when I was my most pure form of being a writer. I guess I was just writing because it was so wondrous. It was a world that uh, that I was able to escape to. Uh, I didn't really have any, you know, like I didn't figure point A to point B. I was just kind of like, I'll do this thing. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, the how I got out was just a fluke, really. You know, I mean, it was just luck. Well, I, I I'm not sure that I agree that well, it was just uh, luck. Yeah. I mean, I think. Um, I think the fact that you actually like wrote the songs right. and, and did it yeah. contributed a lot, yeah, to it. Um, and and yeah. what were you listening to then? Well, a lot of Dylan, a lot of like Pete Townsend. All the best Cowboys have Chinese eyes was a very po uh, powerful record for me as a writer because uh, it, it wasn't as structured as I was used to. Springsteen, U uh, two, all the kind of the staples right. of the right i wonder if you you two then right at the beginning yeah early like uh, unforgettable fire that kind of sure. war even yeah right so. so you're doing that you then move to sh you don't go to college you didn't go to college no right? i went to one day i got the syllabus and i went home and i broke the news that i could not continue this <laughs> line of education any longer what ha what happened <laughs> well the syllabus was so daunting you know i said oh. why why do you think you're one of the brightest people i i, I know well, why do you think and wh why do you think um that that idea held so little appeal. Were there learning issues? Do you think there were learning disabilities? I don't like know if there were learning disabilities. I, really, the one thing that made uh, my stomach flip was the public speaking, that you'd have to give speeches, and I I literally thought, no. You no. dropped out of college because you wouldn't do public, <laughs> public speaking. speaking? I know, it's crazy, but it's true. And then you get up in front of audiences every day yeah. of your life now. But yeah, with a guitar, so it's different, you know, like, so it's easier. Right. Um, 
I was just thinking it'd be great if somehow alongside this podcast there could be just like a whole like people could click on just like a song uh, of yours right and then go listen because I, I like there were songs that you started writing then versions of which ended up coming out years later Literally, or certainly yeah. just after this yes. right yeah and and I will say and I'll say this to you I mean I do agree with Stephen King um, I don't like the word like an undiscovered right. talent because yeah. you've played all over the world and your right. stuff's been in movies and it's been on television and right. You've played big shows and sold them out, but I do uh, I do think that on every one of your records there are a couple of songs that um, are really important and at least a couple of songs. And so if people don't know your music at all and they want to stop this podcast and go, this would be maybe listen to the song "Fools right, Avenue" right. off your first record, which right. for my I think was probably something you wrote when you were pretty young. Right, sure, yeah. useful to do. So. Um, you decide, okay, I'm going to move to Chicago to become a, a yeah. musician. Yeah. And um, and are you drinking yet at this point? No. Because drinking com- uh, comes in later. Yes, that comes in later. Um, yeah, no, not really. Not really, hardly ever. I think I got I got drunk in high school once. And that was... And uh, and where were you in the journey of the whole um, religious thing? Uh, I was pretty steeped in it. Uh, Catholicism. Yeah, Catholicism. You know, like right out of high school, I'd start I started going to church every morning with my mom. And What brought know. that about? And, well, she would go, so I thought, you know, searching, you know, seeking something, uh, something... You know that I, you know that uh, I felt there was something beyond, you know, beyond the physical world, and uh, so yeah. So I was very, you know, and I mean, it's, it was legend. You know, we kind of made it up, but that, that I was going to be a priest, but I really considered it. Uh, when you say we kind of made it up, I mean it's just something you said to me and didn't tell me it wasn't true until <laughs> you were thirty. So I believed I am not, I am not complicit in making that up. Okay. Like when we first met, I think you were wearing this giant wooden cross, bigger than the one you're wearing now, or no, same, it's the same one, one. but you were little her, yeah. and uh, you said, uh, oh yeah, I thought about going into the priest for a long time right now now yeah i mean i mean until you looked at girls right yeah yeah that, i would be i would have been a bad whiskey priest who would have been you know like how have you never written a song called whiskey priest <laughs> <laughs> tell me that wouldn't have been like an outtake that's from a graham third... green thing i think graham green in one of his books yeah, was a, was yeah but have you never written that song yeah, i will I'll, I'll get to it uh it's coming i think you need to so um uh and about yourself i mean don't make it about them it's got to be <laughs> right. about, about yourself so you, you moved to Chicago, yeah. and uh, and you're backing up your friend Fitz, Fitz playing yeah. drunken Irish songs, right? Yes. And then how do you start playing out by yourself? Because you were very shy back then. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, it was. I was ridiculous, you know, wearing sunglasses, going into open mics, and with reading Howl and Ginsberg in the back of the room. You know, it was ridiculous. And you know, you're ridiculous, but you meant it. So yeah, that makes it yeah, less yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, I did. You know, like, but yeah, and it was no like because you weren't very. I mean, you weren't. You weren't really no. trying to work on developing a sense of irony at no. that age. No, no, yeah, and I think people when they came up kind of laughing and then realized, oh, for real, yeah. right? Like you mean <laughs> like, it? Seriously, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, 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 yeah, you and, playing these open mics, yeah. And then how did something get written about about you, and what was it that was written? Well, about I knew you? the guy was coming to see me, so I made it outland outlandish show. I jumped on the table that was falling over. I played a harmonica, Bo diddly thing, and just ripped it. And I knew I had to As do like something. Nineteen year old, yeah, but I had to do something drastic. And that New York Times thing that came later, I rem- the reason I was on the cover or that of the arts and entertainment section was because I was just so outlandish. Like sometimes you have to do things to really like shake the walls, you know, like whether you believe it or not. Just to, you know, like remember Tony. Oh, I don't know if I should say Tony Robbins. You had a meeting with him and he clapped his hands and he said, "Just had to change the energy in the room." Remember oh yeah, he did well, that I think to Tony's you? amazing. Yeah, that was years no, and too. years and years ago. Yeah. yeah. But well, yeah, one of the things sh- he talks about is how to change the state. Okay. So if you're in a... Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're in a situation and it's a heavy business meeting and some guy suddenly goes like... <laughs> you're like, what the hell is that? What You'll start that? laughing and now the mood in the room right. has shifted. Right. Um, Does he do that to gain an edge like, or somehow put people on tilt or something? Well, he teaches something? that stuff. Right, right. So he's trying to... Um, no, he's talking about like um, inertia in a way, like when things don't... When things seem like they're... Um, stuck or they're moving in a certain direction and you can't change it and the thing's going down, there are all sorts of ways you can to try get to, to um, salvage address it, it. Yeah, okay. salvage it. Yeah. And so like he'll use he'll use a whole bunch. Of, <laughs> I mean, he'll use a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure at times he must gain an edge by doing yeah, that because right. if you have that toolkit, like, you're probably going to use that toolkit. <laughs> right. Um, but back to you. Yeah. Uh, and and the fact that you're saying you uh put on a big show for this person. Yes. And what was what did the article sort of say? Just, you know, it started with me on top of a table, like, you know, 
big haired kid, you know, on, on a shaky table playing, you know, and that's how it's, the article started. So it was really like I sh- I changed that guy's uh, perception. Uh, you know, I shook him and then got his attention. He wrote this glowing article, which then ultimately was, you know, passed on to you. But yes, I mean, th- that was a moment where I had to uh, really grasp it, you know, because it was there. And, uh, yeah, but you were young and a young yeah. person. I mean, you but were, I realized I think, the importance of the gravity of it. I realized this. Wow, this guy from the Sun Times is coming. Like, I could have gotten up so there. You're and when you were writing the songs, you were thinking only about kind of write songs that would connect. And yeah. Then, but on stage, you decided to overcome this to be dramatic. Fear, yeah, to I, be dramatic. I, yeah, I, I realized the importance of you know. There's there was this commercial that was on TV not even that long ago where it was Martin Luther King's speech on Washington, and it's this panoramic view, and the guy camera goes from him and going, "I have a dream." And it goes behind him, and there's nobody there. And there's that fountain that goes, and there's nobody there. And it said, I think it was an internet company or something, it said, before you can inspire, you have to connect. And it was about a server or whatever. But it was really, like, that's an amazing thing. You have to get people's attention before you can get into their heart, get into their, you know, their right. hips. And so that's what you, yeah, yeah, sure. So that's what you thought about right. at that time. I realized that. And I remember I got a demo tape. And um, I heard it, and your voice was very deep, and you sounded much older. Right. <laughs> and I mean, I remember I uh, I remember that there was this song "Borderline," and uh, what are the first lines of that song? Lost souls and road tools and vagrants in the steeples. Yeah, fill the, fill the empty hours that's filled with lonely people. And I remember thinking, like, boy, that's that's really uh, interesting use of, of words. Uh, and I would go to Chicago and, and see you perform. And so you played a show. Where was it? Metro. At the, at the Metro in Chicago, yeah. mm-hmm. the club. And then the next day, you came over. And what, what, do you remember what happened? Yeah. What um, was it? Well, so, I mean... Uh, and let me, let me stop. What was your life? So you're living in Chicago then. How poor were you at that time? Uh, broke. You know, just paying rent, getting by, $250 rent. Uh, what was your average spaghetti. day like? Were you eating? Spaghetti, you know, noodles a lot. You know, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's true. Noodles. No, what was yeah. it? I want to yeah, understand where uh, you were. I don't, you know, cereal in the morning, noodles at night, nothing in between. You know, go to the pub and play songs and, you know, just scrape together enough to pay 250 and keep living, you know. And you lived in kind of a weird Yeah, town. cockroach-ridden, you know, they'd, I'd hear them in the, in the silverware when I'd try to be trying to go to bed. They'd be in the bed, you know, like, oh, God. And yeah. just full of, like, wanting <laughs> yeah. to do this rock and roll yeah, thing. Yeah, bars on the window, garden apartment, you're hearing the neighbors, like, as if there's just chicken wire separating you. you <laughs> and, and you didn't have, uh, you, you know, at that time, it was all, like, all in front of you. You didn't say to yourself... I want to do something. This is crazy. I want to do something. No, else. no, yeah. No. You just thought I, I it was just one way to go. Roll. This is. And so you, what happened? I came to see you, and then you came to see me, and then you you came down, and uh, and you, you know I won't put words in your mouth, but you thought it was okay. You thought maybe you could sign me to a publishing deal. I wasn't ready, and uh, and I, you said, come on over. Well, my manager told me you're going to go over to his uh, hotel room. Play him songs tomorrow. He doesn't think you're ready for a record deal, and I was like, ah, man, you know, like that mo- there's that moment that, you know, that I've become all too familiar with. That moment that doesn't go, you know, follow through, doesn't come to fruition. So I went to your, uh, which maybe was nice because uh, I went over with a different attitude the next day and thought, I'll just play him some songs. Maybe I'll, I'll get a publishing deal out of this. And so I just played you songs for several hours. And uh, you know, uh, you were you you were a great poker player. I didn't really know what you were thinking, but you kind of ca- kept asking me, play another one. And then I'd only get through like a verse and a chorus and want to go, oh, I can't remember. Uh, I'll play me another one. So I was like, wow, okay. So I just kept playing and uh, and I I had a. Uh, my producer manager there, which was very distracting, it was like having a bee in the car. You know, it's just like trying to get it out. Well, yeah, he would sometimes clap along. <laughs> yeah, and just was, and just uh, doing rhythmical things. Yeah, just... strange things, trying to like come um, add uh, <laughs> like, a like a little honey to the pie. Yeah, he was just trying to sweeten it. Yeah, he was just yeah, shuka chaka, shuka chaka, shuka chaka. While yeah, while he was singing, while you were singing. Right. Sorry, Joe, who's that records these, is a musician, and he just looked in what? here like, what? What do you mean? Yeah, he would go. Michael be playing a folk song, and suddenly he would be like. So, um, but but here's the thing: we're we're laughing, but um, I decided to sign you. Yes. Um, but I've long wondered, and then you started on this course, and we'll 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 talk Mm -hmm. about it. But you got quickly successful, and Mm -hmm. it was a long time ago. Your album came out in 1991. We made it together. You got on MTV in Mm -hmm. in decent rotation on there. You sold a lot of records for that time. Mm -hmm. Not a ton of records, but enough for a big first album. And then 
you were so young and so kind of cloistered, sheltered in life. You yes, that. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like to me, that's the moment that your life really turned was the moment that you know we decided to make this record together, and I and and you've had some tough uh, times, and I've often wondered, like, you know, did I? Did, would it have been better to let you stay there in Chicago, right? And just and live your life, and then and, figure it out, and then, you know, maybe three years later, you would have been in a different place when it all your talent enough would have happened. Oh, have you ever looked yeah. back on that? No, I mean, I I really wouldn't trade any of it um, for as dark and as hopeless as it got. I mean, I understand why you would ask that, and I will probably. Um, think about that you know but no man it's been great it's been a really rich uh i feel like i'm I'm checking out it's been a great life folks you know but uh yeah man it's been great i mean it's been it's been wildly fascinating the whole the whole all the all the bad you know like and and again like i am so used i'm a masochist of sorts so i think i'm driven now and which i think failure can be like cyclical like you get used to it and and i've destroyed relationships just because i thought they would destroy it so i might as well preemptively strike this which is a bad you know just a it's a poisonous i had like a soul sickness i was really i got sick and uh and yeah, do you think part of the happened because you got to go out on the road at 20 years old yeah i mean uh yes oh if i, I, I say, so you made this album with me and don gaiman and i produced the album together don gaiman produced all john cougar's records yeah. and hootie's records. he's a yeah. huge record producer mm-hmm. and we did this together made this album and like from living in that cockroach-filled apartment, I don't know. Within a year, you were up at MTV's yeah. offices playing music for the whole staff. And who were you touring with? Who did you go out on the road with? Well, I mean, you know, the Bodines or Jeff Healy, and uh, um, and then just in a van. Van more. I mean, yeah, I've played with a lot of great people. Um, but then you were in. I'm saying you were in a van going across oh, in the a van, country. Sorry. They said Van Morrison. Well, yeah, but yeah, you but, were then going in a van across the yeah, country. Yeah. And what happened? Like. What? Well, like, what did that all feel like to you? Did you feel overmatched? Like, when we had to go make the album, yeah. did you feel overwhelmed? Did you feel... Well, I was, remember? I mean, I'd had several breakdowns during that record, you know, like, I mean, emotionally, emotional yeah, purgings, you know. But, I mean, I think that was normal for a kid. I was so excited, and so I was overwhelmed, clearly. But um, the, the, the abuse came, I think, it was kind of in concert with the 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 fear or the the uh when things didn't go so well then you know then it was like and, and when there's whiskey at, in your dressing room every night i mean how do you not i mean it's just sitting there you know like might as well drink it and then so every night it's just in your face and blow and all that stuff you know it was it was hard it just became too easy you know too easy too easy to say no to you know i mean it was too easy it was too accessible for me you know it was i mean that's no excuse i would have sought it and then i ended up no i mean this is what i'm yeah this is what i'm uh i'm I'm wondering about you know whether whether you were equipped emotionally oh yeah well i mean i don't know to go you know to go and and to go and do that to do that in a because and i I said at the beginning of this before you walked in this is going to be weird to say because you know, like um, having switched from being somebody who was a talent scout, what I did, and finding uh, artists to then being uh, someone who who's on the other side right. of it. I'm just aware of what all that stuff is and how you ne- how you personally try to negotiate or protect parts of yourself when you become See, merchandise. I, I never knew that. You know, I guess you saw that, yeah. Yeah. Well, like I saw it because I didn't become somebody who was on the other side, but making things till I was thirty. But even when you were young and successful, you weren't you weren't drinking, or you knew, you know, like we'd get drunk once. I don't know. know I was raised a different. Or uh, no, I was just I was. Um, you would pour shots. You would you know when no one was looking, he'd Brian would dump them. You know, like so. But you had a control about that. I just never did. I don't. Right. Yeah. You no no that that's that's definitely true. Um, but, but let's talk about it. Let's go to the narrative of it because. Although it's true that stuff was uh, available to you, I think the thing that we're missing, or somehow I'm talking about, is that that when you're so young as we were, the emotions are just enormous. Yeah. And so, what did that all feel like when you started to go get to make your first album at 20 oh years old? It was. Just, it was the, I mean, it was. Uh, it's hard to even put into words. It was so joyous. I mean, it was just amazing. <laughs> like you know, with a capital A M. You know. Uh, and, and do you think now the way that I'm wondering as you look at the music thing now, 
like if you were coming up now, you never there would never would have been that moment because no. you would have just made it yourself. Yeah, right? I would have done it in my room and and uh, but going on the road is just a it's a tricky terrain. You know, it's like hard to navigate around some of those things and uh, because there's so much downtime. You know, and I'm making excuses for I think I think I think I'm going uh, off in the wrong direction, but. Um, yeah, uh, Tony Robbins. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> no. right. um, yeah, I, um, yeah, I wasn't able. I didn't have. I didn't have the smarts or the street smarts to navigate around that. To to know moderation was just not a word I understood. But as an art, as, as an artist, as a songwriter, right? You get to go make this album, and then. As it was about to come out, people started writing some nice yeah, things. Amazing. What did all that take me through? What what was happening then? As you were starting to part of me as a young man, I thought, see, I knew it. Like it was, it was a, uh, it confirmed what I had secretly thought in the dark of the night that I'm f-ing great. Oh, you were a genius. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That I mean, really, that's how it felt. Like, yep, I was right. I mean, I was, it was kind of incredulously. Uh, uh, well, I guess I was... Yeah, I, I think it confirmed what I thought. Yeah. See, and I, I'm afraid that I stoked that. Like, you would get a review with, you know, Chris Whitley, and I forget who the third guy was, and it was really positive about you, but it was like, Chris Whitley is a full-blown artist. Right. And, like, if I went back and read that review now, like, they said, great... I know who wrote that article, Tom. Oh. It was he's great things about you. But, like, Chris was the 35-year-old man who'd made <laughs> one of the best... Like, if you look at that right. album now... Right. And by the way, if people don't know that album, Chris Whitley's Living with the Law. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah. That is a staggering piece right. of work. And I remember I was like... They screwed you, McDermott. <laughs> and like, yeah, we were pissed, you know. Yeah. And then he got the Tom Petty tour. We didn't like mother. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so the album, that album comes out. You make a, and and what happened in your life? Tell it to me, like I don't know. It. Well, yeah, I mean, so the record back then they made records for a lot of money. So we spent probably a quarter of a million dollars making that uh, record. 80,000, I think it was, for the Wall I Must Climb video. Uh, it came out, uh, MTV, yeah, put it in rotation, uh, had some decent tours, uh, sold a decent amount of records, but everything stopped fairly quickly. It, it, I wouldn't say it died on the vine, but it was, it wasn't it kind of what we thought it would be. Yeah, it was a the record company I was working for then was an, uh, an odd kind of new record yeah. company and hadn't didn't really know what, what they were doing. Right. And but I can never say, like, oh, the label screwed me, because they didn't. They put a lot of money in the promotion. They did everything kind of what they could. But, it, you know, the, the stars didn't align. But that's with perspective now. But what yeah. did it feel like? Oh, I was, I was stuck in steaming, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and then you left the label. And uh, and you were kind of in limbo. I don't think you immediately went to work. No, into New York. I, no. Yeah. And uh, so I I was kind of. And then I made another record. But anyway, and then the, I lost my management. The label didn't want me. I was suddenly an orphan again. Uh, and you were. I don't know. I can't remember what we, what were you. I mean, you were doing something. Or you were. I think sure. I was in law school at night. Yeah, and yeah, I was yeah, doing okay. some other thing. And then I went to work at EMI. And then, right. we, then well, you were able to make records over. together again. Right. Um. And you made your second album with Don Dixon, who produced the R.E.M. albums. But in between that time, what I want to talk about is, um, because p- part of it is back then, I would say, like, if someone had asked you who your two or three best friends were, like, who who were they back then? Oh, you, Dave, and... Right, yeah. I mean, it was the three of us yeah. pretty much were inseparable. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, D- Dave and I have obviously gone on and still sure. do this thing together, and you're in Chicago. We all still right. love each yes. other and are right. in, in touch, but... During that one period when you were out on the road between the first and second album and pissed and upset, uh, what were, what was going through your head and as you were trying to rebuild yourself and also as you were like with women and all that stuff? Oh, yeah. yeah what, 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 what happened as a young person doing rock and roll? This is all a, a way I'm trying to understand. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think it was, I thought it was a rite of passage in some ways, you know, sexual depravity, drugs, and drink. I mean, that's kind of what you sign up for. I mean, at least I thought that was kind of part of the package. Was it fun? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, it was fun for a long time. And, uh, you know, I mean, they, there's so many cliches about cocaine, but if it wasn't yes. fun, no one would do it, you know. 
Right. Um, so yeah. So, so you became. So that's when you became sort of like a, a liar to other people. Yes. And yourself. Yes. And and then I kind of uh, because the other thing I guess part of what I wanted to say is you were yeah. like the most mor- when I first met you the most moral yeah you were like the most moral person I'd ever <laughs> yeah, met I really was and then you made a deal with the record company Devil <laughs> and within six months you were like the biggest liar on the yeah. planet yeah so I don't, yeah. yeah what do you think I mean, what is that I don't know I don't know what it is. when it, I say liar I mean you would lie to everybody in your life everybody yeah. And uh, I think it, 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 sh- it was from shame, I think. I have never really, uh, you know, people say, oh, I'm proud of you. Uh, I haven't really, really made anybody proud. You know, uh, I think I, I mean, was that's so- what you feel. Yes. And I've, I've let so many people down. I mean, it's a list. I can't think of, you know, the list of people I've let down and the people I've made proud. There's, it's a lonely neighborhood over here. And it, it is a crowded ghetto over on the, you know, the people I've disappointed. Uh, so. Uh, uh, that's how you still feel? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, but that's not. I mean, that's not true. We can, we can talk about that. I mean, you have a you're a great dad. You have a, an yeah. awesome wife. You uh, just got back from playing Italy and Germany, where yeah. you made just tons of people yeah. happy. Which well, we you know, I heard that Havy thing saying about somebody said to him like, "Oh, it's too bad you're or you're just you know becoming successful or you or made we it. never made it or something." Like, yeah, you have to recalibrate your ideas of su- success as you go along in this journey, right? I mean, it, have you? you are you? Well, we, I don't want to. You can ask me. But like, yeah, I mean, your life is ama- I mean, amazing what you've gone through. You've been through so many things. Is this where you think thought you'd end up, or? Well, this is kind of beyond it. In yeah. Many, well, I mean, really, in many yeah. ways. Yeah. Uh, from 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 me, right? I mean, you know, getting getting to make yes. I mean, getting to first of all, uh, having married the girl of my dreams and have these kids right. that I uh, love and I'm so proud of, and then. Um, but yeah. to, you're getting journey- to, yeah, so, I mean, I get to, I mean, yes, I'm creatively, I'm very creatively fulfilled, which is the thing see- I'm curious and uh, I follow. My, yeah. So for, for me, like I get to make movies, right. I get to do this thing where I talk to people I'm really interested in, right? I've never put anyone on this show that I don't want to really hear right. about. Um, and uh, but I, your life took a turn. You didn't see it. You didn't know you were going to be a creative person necessarily. You knew you were. I you liked the smell of it, and you were in it on the industry side. But then to take that leap, I had no idea that it would happen. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like so. So your 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 calibrations changed. Like, wow, this is where my life is going, and how great and wondrous that is. And like mine is this. Uh, it's I'm happy. I mean, I am. There's levels of. Yeah. Yes, now. But so you're. I just want to go back because you had had when you were young a North Star, which was you were going to be true. You were going to live by this uh, the way you understood this religion to right. tell you to yes. live. Yes. You were going to write these songs that were only there to make you happy because you were a perfectionist about what you wanted to do lyrically. Yeah. And then you go out on the road and you become a deboshed <laughs> yeah. person who wants like kind of a certain kind of validation more than anything. Yes. Um, so, I mean, what happened to you then in, like, the writing and thinking about it? How did you react to criticism? Because you got a lot of positive crit- um, response, but then some people would say, oh, he sounds too much like Dylan or he sounds too much right. like Springsteen. I mean, how did that Yeah, I mean, that, it, that didn't – I mean, it bothered me, but it didn't bother me that much, I, I think. Because, um, you know, I tried to numb all my senses, you know, and so it was – I was really good at it. You right, know. so it bothered you so much that you had yeah. to numb all your senses. Yeah, yeah right, right. It did. You know, because I never felt validated. You know, I never felt like I got, you know, uh, you know, enough credit. I guess, you know. And and you felt that way when you went in and to make your second album, and so on and so on and so on. Yeah. And what do you think you were writing about back then? Well, and and and, and folks, I gotta say, Brian was a, always my mentor in terms of writing, and uh, because a lot of it, I might my. my Mine was so awash with like, uh, I, I don't know, you know, anytime I started using words like angel and, uh, you know, castle and like Brian would be quick to, you know, say, you know, come on, that's too easy. You know, you would, you would push me to write. Yeah. Like, but what do you, were, that, what, what, I mean, that was like my job at the time and I cared right, about your music so much, but what, what were you interested in talking about then and writing about, do you think? And well, it was, I mean, I think loneliness was obviously one of the main themes and surrender obviously was another theme. It's like trying- you use surrender in, on many songs. Yeah, many. What does that mean to you? This idea need to surrender. Yeah. Just taking your hands off the wheel and like really trusting in like a force that that is yours you know that that can guide you you know and whether that be god or your own spirit your own energy or source or whatever you want to call it uh i think that's a theme that i still like you know i i'm such i want to control everything uh i'm not a control freak but i feel i could 
you know, I, I'm always fighting the wheel as opposed to just, you know, letting it, uh, letting it kind of guide me, you know. And, and do you think that your sort of own, um, insecurities at the time made you somehow only comfortable in defeat so that you would find yes. a way to sabotage? Yes. Yeah. I don't know why that always felt like a very comfortable place for me. It was always my, my neighborhood, you know. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know where that comes comes from, or my feeling of like abandonment, like almost reveling in abandonment, and uh, and feel you know feeling very disconnected. And I don't know. It's still it's still so your music has so much empathy. Why do you think you're able to have empathy out and not empathy in? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, great question. Uh, I don't know. You know, I and now I'm in a place where I I have no religion, and uh, but I I. Uh, I feel more empathy just about the the downtrodden and the dis you know uh, the displaced people because I'm I'm really I mean I know it well I know those feelings so well uh, that it really was about me too uh, but I just you know put it in other characters because you can't pity yourself you know and no I mean in the music I think yeah there's a lot so much humanity but I'm more asking about um, if you think because another theme that runs through all your stuff is forgiveness yeah. And, uh, I mean, do you think that you displayed that forgiveness towards your, yourself? No, yeah, I know. But I got a lot to make up for. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's going to take the rest of my... But what? I don't know. Uh, what does that mean? Really? What are you, what's, what's so bad about you? I, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, yeah, there's no great events. Like, it's just a real, it's just a, a, a seething uh desperation like that i don't know it's self-loathing i don't know what it is and why i feel that way but it's uh yeah there's no event i could point to like well it was the day this happened you know it's just more of a i've always i don't know sounds silly no, but but i i feel like you recognize the possibility of your best self yeah because that's in your in your music like a uh search yeah, for it yeah i i think i'm getting there you know uh you know uh yeah i don't know it's a tough question. Yeah, but uh, you think you've gotten better at it? Yes, I think I have. I'm letting myself off the hook a little more than I, you know. But I still, you know, like I want to, you know, providing for a, a woman and a child is, uh, you know, that's become more in the forefront of like that's goal one. And, you know, and the rest of it is is a luxury. Well, and Heather, your wife's your, your partner. She's yeah. out there on the road playing right. with you and an artist in her own right, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you mean you, you have your your daughter Willie in, in mind all yes. the time? Yeah, of course, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's um, is that what fuels you now when you go out? And yeah, play? I mean, and still being a you know being a, the best writer I can be, you know, like um, that's that's you know, and playing music I, I love, you know, like before I would be so eager for the show to be over so I can get f-ed up, and I'd already be f-ed up on stage, but it'd be kind of wearing off by then, so I'd cut shows short, get off stage, knew there was blow weight and the whole thing and then but now like i just love being on stage and i'm i'm in you know last night was a 30 minute set i hate those it's just like i'm just getting warmed up so when i do my own shows i love being up there now it's just a very different thing you know it's nice. well and an amazing thing has happened i mean so you 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 were you rode kind of like the record company carousel for a while <laughs> right, right rode it right into the ground yeah and you made three major label albums uh-huh. Um, the first one was called 620 West Surf, and that was the apartment that was yes, Conqueror yes. built. Um, and, and I have to say, I think it's a, a, that's a stunning classic You've album. You've been there. Yeah, uh, I've been to 620 West Surf. <laughs> then you made an album called uh, Gethsemane, Gethsemane yeah. and that has the songs that Stephen King really fell in love with you yes. on. And not just Stephen King, I mean, lots of yeah. people in lots of pockets. You, you know, you haven't had that many fans, but your fans are crazy. They what are. What do you say? That, that connection? Yeah. What do you think? What's that about? What does that feel like? I don't know. And because and, it's all, and I don't know how much I should say about this, because I know all the fanatics will be listening to this. I love you all. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting group of people. And I wonder what it is that attracts them so fervently to me, because uh, I can't figure it out, really. Because they've been following you for 20 years, yeah. right? They're just invested, you think? I don't know. Um, no, I think that it means it hits... Uh, like when you're writing those songs, who are you picturing listening to? Yeah, I, I don't. You know, I don't think I ever think of that because that would screw it up too much. But yeah, uh, uh, it's an interest. They believe in you, it seems to me, in a yeah. fanatical Fan- way. Yeah, it's, it's, they're great. I mean, if, if not for them, I wouldn't have a place to live. But uh, yeah, I don't have any clue 
what it is that attracts them to what I write about. Because the people and what they do in their lives uh, has nothing to do with the people I write about and sing about. It's 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 almost like a weird, these are people that love the car accident and slow all traffic down for miles. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you like about this? You know, I have no idea. You ever ask them that? No. It'd be, I, I'd be afraid of the answer. Because even last night, there was this, uh, we were opening for 10,000 Maniacs. There were like 100 people there who were there for... Like yeah. clearly there for you and yeah. cheering yeah. for you, and I could tell, and they were all trying to come up to you. I mean, we had a very uncomfortable moment. <laughs> How do you process that the disconnect? Yeah, between being basically anonymous, yep, and then having this group of people who, who almost who think you're like almost like a holy person or something. <laughs> What's that feel like? It's very awkward. I hate it. Uh, you know, because I. And, uh, you know, I, I just feel very awkward. You know, I mean, you were there last night. You saw that. I mean, it's crazy. Um, yeah. I can't believe I'm touching you. You know, stupid stuff like that. You know. Uh, but do you have a, any sense of what it is they're responding to? No. See, you? Yeah, you really I mean, don't. I really don't. Like, is it a darkness in them? When they it, write about... You don't think it's the hope that you represent? I hope so. Uh, no pun. Uh, but, yeah, I hope so. Because, yeah, but... Um, yeah, that's I, you're probably right. I hope. Well, so you made these three albums. Yeah. And then uh, I left the record business. Yeah. And I called you one day and the phone was disconnected and I went. And then I, you, it was before cell phones, I think. And then I called you at home. I'm like, dude, what's going on? EMI, like it was just done. Well, I think I had left Dave and I Did sold you? rounders, right? By then? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, for okay. sure. Um, we had sold rounders and so I was probably like... Just oh, done with it. Uh, beginning to be done with it, or maybe the office has moved, or whatever the thing. Okay, so I must have called. I don't remember oh, what happened. happened. Anybody you, else? Yeah, you called and and yeah, the phone was just you know that funny signal that the doors had closed and EMI, yeah, and, so and then they decided not to pick me up, and then I was so you, that was like what you were in your late twenties, probably. Yeah, twenty eight maybe. You'd already that year been on the cover of the New York Times Arts and Leisure yeah. section, which yeah. is another big kind right. of spike where uh, there was a lot of attention right. for a minute. Yeah. And did you at any point along the way, like right then, so three records, none of which really broke through. You knew you were great at what you did. Enough people were like, this guy's great at what he does. But I was thinking about this today, and and, uh, and so much of when I talk to people, it's about like that how they didn't quit, and then they became whatever. But you're still on this path. You're such a smart person. Did you think about, hey, I'm... Maybe I will quit and I'll become a, a, a writer. I'll yeah, teach. Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did. I've thought about it all along, and 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 not to. I'm not deflecting, but uh, somebody t talked to me like you should do a podcast, man. And and I kind of did a cursory uh, investigation of it, and it just seemed like too much. You see things, go after them, and you make it work. I like you know. You've even said to me, you should act. You should take acting lessons or whatever. And I look into it, and I kind of go, yeah. It just seems like too much work or whatever. Like, in, here's one example across from you sitting right now. Here's a man who sees things, goes, go. I'm not. Yeah. Well, but, well. Yeah. But again, it's not about me. Huh? What I'm interested in is, um, I mean, I think a lot of that, by the way, has to do with like I was raised by two loving parents. I mean, who just were like focused on me. Right. Your parents love you a great yes, deal. Sure. They were older, and you had a different kind of a right childhood. Fair I mean, enough. I do think so much was because like. Do you, I had parents who said, um, you could be oh, anything. you're smart, you can right. be anything, and I somehow was stupid. <laughs> like, I, I was dumb <laughs> enough to believe that, which then enabled me yeah. uh, to later like right. put it into practice. But, uh, but I'm more asking, like, you, because there were certain things, like even I was talking to your wife last night, I mean, you do know that you don't really run across people during the course of your day who are smarter than you most of the time. Right. Yeah. And did you ever think, oh, I'm going to go and not, do something not, else? Not really. Because I, I'm smart enough to know that I'm really good. At, I mean, I still. Your father said once, and I've hung my hat on this for a lot of years. It's, with Michael McDermott, it's never a question of if; it's a question of when. Well, gosh, I hope he was right. He's yeah, I know, right? I know. No, and don't listen to everything he says. Yeah, <laughs> he's been wrong. Sometimes. He's been wrong before. Maybe he's talking to Michael McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> behind you, no. But so after those three albums, right? You, uh, what then happened? How did you then? When I was no longer there. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I put whatever money I had left, made another record that kind of got picked up by Koch. I mean, I was literally between vocal takes when they were playing the track. I was free basing and, you know, I would exhale the, you know, the crack coke and then I'd start singing. And it was, I mean, it, that's what it was. I mean, it well, was. Oh, a, yeah. So, like, this gets back to what I envisioned was that you were going to continue to be like the same dude. 
And then by your third or fourth record, because of the constant continued work and Just focus, you would oh. have no. Um, I couldn't count it on like the drugs and alcohol wrecking. Yeah, the havoc that they did. Yeah, I mean, do you do you look at that as a something that impeded your progress a lot? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think it was in the cards for me, you know, like, you know, sometimes like I kind of that's when I started believing that it wasn't going to happen. You know, like this is well when you're free basing in between vocal <laughs> takes, right. you're sort of manifesting. Right. That it's not yeah, I wasn't happen. helping matters. But um, but yeah, like, you know, uh, yeah, it was uh, I was kind of I was kind of checking out a bit. What was that the lowest moment getting there? Yeah, I mean, it well, went down. What's lower than that? Well, I mean, there's things that I wouldn't feel comfortable no, talking sure. about. You know, uh, but, you know, things that, I mean, I ha I've had l secret lives, you know. I've had, you know, things that I would never repeat, you know. Uh, but do you, yeah, do you think that, I mean, do you think that stuff was just in the cards for you because of who you were and how you were raised? Do you think it was a, a result of false expectations for yourself buying into the hype the, the record business like when you look at it do you think there was another way this all could have gone or do you feel like this was the inevitable path down which you had to travel yeah i don't know you know uh i think i think i brought it all on i i i welcomed it you know i opened the door and said come on in you know i really did um i could go back and blame it on things in my childhood or whatever and uh but i won't because you know, I I I knew what I was. I kind of knew what I was doing during a lot of this. You did, yeah. You mean you knew? I, I knew. Did some was... part of you not want. I guess that's what I'm interested in. Like, because yeah, when I was talking to Alan Havy on the other podcast, it was clear that like um the joy he got from doing the thing he did, stand up, and he could recognize, uh, in a very tangible way, I'm really good at this thing. And I can keep doing this thing, and I'm going to do the work on myself to transcend my limitations. Right? Some of the same demons he talked, but right. like. I I moved mean, to LA. He was around your age when that he said like he thought oh it's over and then right. he turned it to move to LA. And, and I know that. you've recently gotten yourself like what are you 150 days yeah. of sobriety yeah. mm -hmm. and married with a kid who you love. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you feel like this is a moment of a time where you're turning it? Have your have your sort of desires changed? Are they the same? Uh, my I've I've thought about doing other things. You know, I have considered that, and maybe now with a clearer head, I could. You know, look into some of these things with more. I'm mean, saying with rock and roll. Pardon me. I'm saying even with the musical career. Do you feel like I? I, I still. I mean, yeah. I'm be I'm really better than ever. I really do believe that, and that's not some bullshit like sober guy talking. Like I'm great. You know, like everything's not great, uh, but I'm my um, my writing's just really really good right now. And uh, and I'm gonna ride, roll that and ride that as long as I can. And, and well, yeah, even throughout the haze of everything, like I said, on every album, there's a it's still song pretty good. Yeah. And there are songs that are stunningly great, yeah. and that um, that if people heard them, you know, if someone heard "So Am I" from two albums ago, they would be like, "Why is this guy not right world famous?" Yeah. Um, and that's why each step of the way, there's been some encouragement, right? Somebody's come out of the woods each step right. of the way to yeah. say. Hey, you're great. I want to manage you or take you to the thing. <laughs> right. or yeah, sign it's just you. always enough. I, the, the crumbs from the table are just enough to keep me going another day. But I was thinking about this because uh, that movie Searching for Sugar Man, where that guy didn't know oh, yeah. he was big in uh, uh, South Africa. I mean, talk about what happened to you in the last couple of years. Yeah, well, I, I was in Italy and I was drunk and I didn't know where the first show was. I knew it, what town it was in. How did you even get to that you were going to go play I was going to. I was asked to open for this woman, Eileen Rose. Oh, I'll go to Italy. Great. So, How many years ago is this? Five. Okay. And um, so I I went to the town. I didn't know exactly where the show was, but I found out. Got there early. Started drinking in the town square, and and then I kept going by the theater to check, and it was all gated up. And then at some point later in the day, and I was pretty lit by this point, I went over there and I saw a crowd of people. So I thought, oh, okay, good. They must it must be opening the doors. And I walked by, and I looked down on the steps, and there were people all congregated there. And there was a guy there, and he was writing on this big white board. And I was as I was reading it upside down as I passed, and it said "Your Silence," and I was like, "What's this?" And then I will always admire, which is a song from your first, first album, "Your Silence." I'll always admire. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was like, "Hey, man," you know, like I know that. And he looked up, and he's this really good-looking guy, and and he just tears pouring down his face, like Michael, you know, 
how's it ta- you know uh, why well, how has it taken you this long to come here or whatever and then people started gathering around it was like a dream and the show was great and i you know and then and you realized you had this big pocket yeah. of fans well 620 surf specifically was an album that was a huge thing over there and it's in books and you know people have the lp which we never even had over here and, and uh, so every stop along the way you saw that your music had reached yes people all these people had in albums, Italy. yeah 620 surf, yeah. and then it happened in germany too right yeah germany too so it's been a real uh, amazing part, you know, second chapter or whatever, 12th chapter, you know. Um, so it's been amazing. That now you're able to do that. And then um, all along the way, one thing I, I should say, because I haven't, because it's something that I know is, um, you became, and it was a weird thing for you, uh, or for, for outside, you became like um, a rock star in Chicago. Mm. Is that? Yes. Even when the first album happened... You could always sell like a thousand seats. Yeah, right? I was, I'd always do well there. Yeah, and uh, and and recently it's really come. What, what's happened? There it's come now back again. You? I don't know. You know, because I mean, I was a rock star. When you use that term, it, it could mean many things. But like, because I, I would drive my BMW to Tower Records and walk in with a bottle of Jack and a cane. You know, like I, I kind of <laughs> built this kind of like mythology. Yeah, totally. Like McDermott. And I remember I went to pull up to see you and Francis Pennington at a pancake place and i remember you know waving out my sunroof like hey i'm over here and then i pulled into a car that was already parked on the sidewalk nice. you know like, it was like dudley moore or some weird arthur thing you know uh but yeah so things are going great there uh there's been a revival thank god and, and you've been selling out all these shows mm-hmm. at city winery what's yep. the capacity of that place just three three ten and you're doing it i mean you've done it like six times in a row six times now yeah. and are you are you accepting it all now like it yeah. happens and these people are there and they know every word of your songs like what's it feel like yeah now? it feels like and in philly too like i mean there are these pockets yeah, there are like, these pockets yeah it feels like this finally you know and that's what it feels like finally finally and do you feel like you have a batch uh of songs now that y- you want to record so oh, i can't for wait the first time yeah, in your life can't wait and it's been hard this transition doing shows uh, you know, talk post shows, you know, which is never a great thing. You know, after the show, you go out and sign CDs and stuff. But doing it all sober has been very, you know, it kind of makes my skin crawl a little bit, little bit, especially sober, drunk, coked up. I could do it all day long. Sober's hard. Yeah, very hard. And uh, and and how is sort of now being somebody who has a family and is committed to it, a daughter yeah. who's almost three. Yeah, We're going going on four. Going, and yeah. and uh, and a, a wife who, who's out there with you. Are you? Do you find it's hard to reconcile, like being a re- musician on the road with having this family? It, Are you ready for it? It is. It's hard. You know, I tried. We tried. To, we talked about this last night, but I tried to take her with us wherever we go. It's very expensive, you know, because she's four, so it's a full fare. So a thousand dollars here for a flight there. And uh, the thing now that I find mo- it's and it's hard to train my brain back to the w- where, where it should be. It's not having to apologize all the time. I'm just so like. Uh, I'm just always, you know, I always found myself having to, like, send flowers to the people I hung out with the night before, you know. It was always just, like, you know, flowers again, you know. But, but yeah, like, it being, you know, not wanting to have to talk after the show or doing it for a few minutes and not having to, you know, like, just doing things for for your own safety to get out of there when you have to because otherwise, you know, triggers start being, you know, like, I got to get out of here. Yeah, I I guess the the thing that... The thing that that worries me, or that as as I was thinking about seeing you and, and doing doing this today, is uh, and I, I saw. I mean, I said at the beginning, and you said you wouldn't change anything, but but you were this uh-huh. innocent. You were like a real innocent young, almost child. Like maybe you had just turned twenty, I think. Right. And I was only a couple years older, but I was in, in New York City and in the music yeah. business. And um, you know, by having that world like reach out and and touch you. In a way, it was like the rocket ship to this mm. thing that was corrosive and yeah, corrupting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to you. Yes, and so yeah. Sorry. No. Um, no. I, yeah, you're right. I, I would change a lot of things. I mean, that's crazy for me to say that. When you repeated it back to me, I went, "What? Oh, he said that." Yeah. See, I'm still trying to. My brain, like, you, what's that Hawthorne quote? A man can only show him so, the face he shows to himself, and then the multitude before getting confused to which one's really him. I am in the mid. I mean, that is my crisis now. It's like, who am I? Really, is the question. You know, I have no idea. I'm still, I'm navigating through, going. Wait, that's not me. I don't have to lie. Why would I just lie about that? Why? Right. Why yeah, you don't. You don't have to lie, lie anymore. Oh, what the, it's just behavior. It's a behavioral. And so you've gotten all the way here. But I, I guess, so to me, like, uh, I just feel like. Uh, there's a 
and it's one of the reasons I left that business. There's a uh, an implied promise when someone signs someone to a record deal, which is like, I'm going to take care of you and protect you. Right. And like I wasn't able to really do that. Uh, so you uh, did though, Brian. Yeah. No, it's been uh, you know it, it, it's haunted me at times. That, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously Dave and I named the character in Rounders after you, and we've stayed like family yeah. the whole time. But uh, but I I am I guess, and I I think I I I will remain. You know, I'm so convinced of uh, how important you are as an artistic force, and the fact that we uh, I wasn't able to help really deliver that, even as much as you. Just yourself off <laughs> sabotage yourself. Yes, yeah um you know it's still uh i still wish it were different and uh i wouldn't you've well, you enriched my life well you've oh. enriched my life so much that i don't wish that didn't happen but in a way i do wonder if if i just kept gone going through chicago and you've right. been playing for two more years and then, maybe it would have all somehow you know it's been a very different life yeah, you know. maybe it would have been a different sort of. I would have been uh, more empty for not having known you, but perhaps you would have found a different course. I mean, that's I, the idea of the mo- you know. I think I would have found a way to make something have an exaggerated life. I don't know, like you know, I'd have been a thief or something. You know, like I would have, you know, or you know, I would have been a DUI and I killed. Oh, a fan. I saved you from a life of crime. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh, I feel all better now. <laughs> really, that's it great. Feels like it. Oh, I'm so glad we did this. I feel all better. Um, I, I. I will say that um, it's funny, you know, this is uh, being with you is so always loaded with emotion for me. Um, and, and but largely I wanted to do this because I, I really do want people to hear your music. Thank and you. uh, your website is Michael McDermott. Michael Dash McDermott. Michael Dash McDermott. And then um, stupidly uh, in self-defeating style, your your Twitter handle is not spelled the way your name I, is spelled. See, I don't understand Twitter that much. <laughs> just like, so on Twitter, you're just Michael, Michael McDermott, McDermott with, with one, T. one T. Yeah. Um, um, which doesn't make any sense. A guy, tweet at me if you can't find McDermott. I'm Brian Koppelman at Twitter. Spelled just like my name is spelled. Um, because like he said, I go after things. Like, right. I want a Twitter handle. He's I'm going to get my Twitter handle. Um, but you know what I'd love to do? The I know that the, when we were sitting in that hotel room, the song that made me say, um, I have to uh, I have to try to help this guy get to the world was the song called Number 49. Okay. And, uh, can you just tell us uh, what inspired this song, and then we'll we'll reset this thing. So oh, okay. Well, before it. I um, I met Brian, I my I wanted to go to New York City to you know see Bleecker Street and and and, uh, and see where Dylan you know cut his teeth and. Uh, I, my mom knew some priests out in the village, which is funny now because you you know you would never send a, a boy to go stay with priests anywhere now. Uh, yeah, but this is where the whole myth of you because I remember you telling me the story and it was like oh I was thinking about becoming a priest and that's well, why. Well, I, no, I, you know, yeah, I thought about being an astronaut too, like you know, um, but uh, yeah. So anyway, so I you know and I took the train out and uh, spent a few days here and did I think I did on McDougal Street. I can't I can't remember the name of the place. She's can't remember. Anyway, uh, did an open mic or whatever, and uh, got shat on by a pigeon uh, on the Staten Island ferry. And then I, I came back, and uh, and I the train out there was uh, number forty eight, and then the train back was number forty nine. And you wrote this on the yeah. train back, mm-hmm. and uh, because the trip to New York was actually, I mean, you kind of just casually, it was a it was a hard sad trip. What do you mean? Was your trip a good trip or a bad trip? Oh, it was New okay. York? You know, it was. Uh, I just kind of wanted to go see what I was up against, and and. And New York always kind of like, even when I got in yesterday, it just fills me with the sense of like, I don't know if it's false bravado, but it feel you know, I, whenever I'm here, I feel so empowered. And so coming out here, don't go into an open mic. I, I thought I was better than everybody. And I went back home and thought, I, I got this. Well, yeah. I mean, you do. You got it. Now you do. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, even though I thought I, I could do this. Gosh, I realize we left out so many stories like flying to Chicago and breaking into your room. To, oh, my God. Yeah. To get you out of bed. Yeah. And make sure you were alive. That was really <laughs> yeah. a crazy And then thing. They, Brian and David saved me. They flew in uh, like the cavalry. And, and uh, uh, it, uh, it doesn't matter. But okay. I'm just remembering. Like, <laughs> geez, you really did almost. You came I want to really do a close. podcast to you and I'll ask the questions next time. <laughs> hey, McDermott. Thanks. Uh, Thank you. Uh, stay and listen. Listen to this song. Um, because uh, Michael McDermott uh, is one of the giants walking around. Uh, it's just that certain people can't look up that high. Lifelessness cries from the fountain of youth, lowest to be. 
get the meaning of truth In the judge's chambers he downs his chin in vermouth And he cries when he sees his reflection The lost postman wanders American streets past Henry VIII who quietly eats Being entertained by a drunk quoting Keats He pays a dollar a week for protection Oh mama, mama, where have you gone? You left your little boy here all alone And music plays in the small cafes That converse to Marlon Brando in his younger days The backroom manager's quoting off-Broadway plays Cause the feelings that he feels are not real And politicians shake my hand under the air they don't have to show me I can easily tell That it isn't their smiles They're trying to sell The bad hand of another deal Oh, mama, mama, where have you gone? You left your little boy here all alone And by the pool sits a broken athlete And he drowns pain from his head to his feet since he's retired he can't swallow defeat cause his life is no longer a game the old man sits alone with his toast and his tea watching Jackie Gleason on his old TV working for the transit authority and just like Jackie he feels the same oh mama mama where have you gone you left your little boy here all alone to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.